Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hi there, this is The Athletic Football Podcast, and it is Match Week 14. Hi there, I'm Adam Leventhal at The Athletic HQ in London. This is The Hub, where the magic happens. And I am alongside Tim Spears, who makes an emotional return to the weekend preview. Where the hell have you been? What emotions are we talking about? Uh, uh, I am excited, but I can see from your face that maybe you are less so. Um, yeah, you are. Oh, no, good. I'm into it. Apathy is an emotion, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. It's good to be back. Uh, it's great to have you on the show again. Have you been well? No, that's why I've not been here. Oh, really? We don't need to get into it, but yeah, oh, okay. it's just had a couple of weeks being ill. Oh, but dear. here I am, I'm back. Oh, well, it's good to have you on board. You're not infectious? No, it's all... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Luke's looking I'm now, like, now wishing I hadn't chosen in. the seat next to Tim. No, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. You're okay. No, I'm clear. Uh, Luke Bosher, you had a little preview there. Luke Bosher, who is a black belt in karate and also part of the Athletics news team. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. I uh, can't complain at all. And uh, based on that knowledge, you should uh, maybe watch your tone towards me, Adam. <laughs> well, you know what? I go. was exactly <laughs> thinking the same thing. Last time I was giving you a little bit of a hard time. I was pushing my luck and now I'm backing off. Nick Miller, meanwhile, you're back again. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. I haven't, I haven't really been ill. Don't have a black belt in karate. What's your sort of, what's your superpower though? Okay, should we go through the fixture <laughs> formation? Yeah, are we ready? Yeah. Five five set up this week over Saturday and Sunday. And we actually had a five five two weeks ago, which Tom Harris said last week that it was only the third time that it had happened in seven years. So I'm just wondering if maybe he was either wrong or we're just getting lucky that it is uh, come around so soon once again. These are the Saturday three o'clocks. We have three of them. It's 11th against 17th, Brentford against Luton. Then the leaders Arsenal take on 12th place Wolves. It's a basement battle between Burnley, bottom of the table, and Sheffield United in 18th. Then on Saturday evening, 5.30 kickoff. It is Forest in 13th, still with Steve Cooper in charge against second bottom Everton still licking their wounds and then beyond the Saturday evening we have a late kickoff we have seventh against sixth Newcastle against Manchester United then on Sunday four 2pm kickoffs Chelsea in tenth against Brighton in eighth third place Liverpool against Fulham who are 14th then we have the London derby West Ham against Crystal Palace West Ham in 19th Palace in 13th and then it is Bournemouth in 16th against fourth place Villa and then Sunday 4.30 it is second place Manchester City against Tottenham and that is where we're going to start the show. So the champions, the treble winners host Tottenham in Sunday's late kickoff. Spurs, a bit of a bogey team 
for City, they have won, which is quite remarkable, five out of their last seven games. But they were under different managers, the likes of Conte and Mourinho. Tim, obviously you cover Spurs. Is Ange Ball and that new approach... He flinched already. It's good to have you back on the show. <laughs> flinched with me saying Ange Ball. Uh, uh, do you think yeah. that this sort of new approach is is equally well suited to facing City or do you think that the, his his setup is actually going to put them in a little bit of a dicey situation? I don't think there are many examples of a team beating Man City that way, especially away from home. Yeah. But I'd never I wouldn't write them off. I mean Spurs are the agents of chaos and you know they've got 10 players out potentially. Uh I would say six of those would be first 11 players. Players playing in emergency positions, Emerson Royal at centre-back. Um, and I guess, the, the, well, the question that's sort of been doing the rounds from a Spurs narrative is they've lost three in a row. They've got all these players out. Should he be changing his style, you know, from this sort of high-octane, balls completely out, like trying to overwhelm the opposition with like pace and overlaps and vertical football and overloads. And it's sensational to watch, but they've lost three in a row. So given he's not got the players he wants at his disposal, should he be changing his principles? Which is a big question. Well, what and, do you think? Uh, I, mean, I don't think he will. He's never done that in his career. Even when he was at Celtic playing Real Madrid in the Champions League, you know, he, he never sacrificed that attacking approach, that really high-risk approach. So, And I've got to say, you know, against Villa last week, Villa in a great run of form and they're a very good team. Spurs were the better team. And they registered their highest XG of the season. Three offside goals. Missed a couple of really good chances and they should have won that game. And if they had won that game, then everyone would be saying, well, look, Postacoglu is genius because yeah. they've got more than half a team out and yet they can still uh, beat Villa, as they should have done. So um, I'm interested to see um, what approach he takes, but it'll probably be, let's go for it, mate. Hmm. And uh, it'll be really interesting to watch. Do you think if three defeats becomes four, that becomes an issue? Does that start to force his hand? Does it put any pressure on him whatsoever yeah it's one of those isn't it where you know this they went 10 games unbeaten to start the season and now they've potentially the potential might lose four in a row but it's just perception if those defeats had been muddled in around and Spurs were fifth after 14 games playing some amazing football and got all these players out everyone will be saying wow this is a fantastic start keep it going Ange but because it's 10 10 unbeaten and then it's four defeats you've got to people look for deeper meanings and a but crisis. there is a sympathy, isn't there? Sympathy and because of the injuries. It's ridiculous. Yeah. You, you, you take any first-choice centre-back pairing out of any Premier League team and they'll struggle. You then take the entire midfield out as well. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous what, what they're going through. And he obviously hasn't got his squad yet because he's he's only been there a few months still. So he's having to rely on the likes of, of Hoiberg, who's, you know, shunned at the start of the season really to, to a backup player Eric Dyer who who may come back in at the weekend Emerson Royale at centre half like I said Gio Lo Celso came back in last week Brian Hill came back in last week these aren't players that he would necessarily want to use so I have, I have a lot of sympathy for him and also I have, I have admiration for the way that he's sticking by his guns because like I said they were fantastic against Villa last week and I, I think they can do something at Man City They keep on losing after taking the lead early is there a reason why that is and does um, it does it reflect that maybe he doesn't adapt in game doesn't sort of manage the game well maybe I mean those three games you had that Chelsea one where they that was maybe take that one out of, the, one off. out of the mix yeah then they went to Wolves having lost 
six plays in a tough week. Tough place to go as well, isn't it? It's real, real tough. Yeah. And uh, they sort of tried to, they scored very early and tried to battle their way through it and uh, looked like they were going to do that until 93rd minute when, you know, fell to that incredible, incredible defeat. Were you there? No, I wasn't there. No, no I missed okay. it. I was in Lisbon that weekend, but I did uh, watch it. Not sure if I could say if I enjoyed it or not. Um, Tim enjoyed it. <laughs> and then uh, last week, yeah, again, well, they felt unlucky to me, the, the way that they were created so many chances and, 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 and missed a couple. So I, I don't know. There's, there's probably a, a level of they go into games so hard, trying to overwhelm this opposition from the off, get a couple of early goals and blow blow the opposition away, that they use it so much energy at the moment with players who aren't used to it because they've not been in the team and they fade late on. That certainly happened against Villa. Okay, so we will see how they go against Manchester City. Let's let's concentrate on the on the City side of things. Nick, if I can come to you, they've drawn their last two. Chelsea just prior to the international break. Liverpool last weekend. I mean, it's it seems maybe a little bit um, a little bit silly to say that they need to get back on track, but I suppose Pep Guardiola will have those high standards that he'll be thinking. Well, no, come on, look, we need to we can't we can't let it slip too much because. Arsenal might be able to pull away even further. They might even be further ahead by by the time they kick off. Yeah, and there was also the... Uh, they obviously came back to win against Leipzig in the Champions League, but the first half was pretty calamitous. It's just the thing that people have said an awful lot about City, but it just feels like they're just waiting. You know, like how the best sort of 800-metre runners or 1,500-metre runner will kind of sit in the pack at some point third or fourth back and then in the final lap we'll just kind of effortlessly sprint on ahead of everyone else so it feels like City are just kind of waiting to do that to waiting to when they traditionally go into sort of god mode in February which will be probably around the time that Kevin De Bruyne is back so are you the first person to compare Pep Guardiola's Man City to Steve Cram <laughs> could be yeah could be yeah um but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think if they are even remotely in touch by the kind of third third of the season, then they'll, they'll do what they always do and win the league anyway. It's an exciting battle, isn't it, Luke, with, with Pep Guardiola going up against Ange Postacoglu. Do you think that he will be, he'll be relishing this challenge? Yeah, I think we've seen from Guardiola during his time at Man City that he has kept evolving tactically to stay relevant and stay ahead of the chasing pack really you know we've seen it most recently with this kind of you know three centre-backs formation then playing you know John Stones in midfield alongside Rodri um, and kind of making the best use out of Kyle Walker's immense physical assets and I do think he will be motivated by trying to beat Postacoglu because he's one of the best managers I think in the Premier League this season and certainly one of the most fashionable and likeable and tactically innovative but I think City have struggled a little bit, I think, in recent weeks, especially with their kind of defence. I think Josco Gvardiol hasn't really hit the ground running. Struggled a lot against Chelsea a few weeks ago. Uh, Nathan Ake has been very good, but struggling with injury. Ruben Diaz still doesn't quite look there to me. Maybe not fully fit. And obviously John Stones has spent that time out earlier in the season and then has had a little injury and when he doesn't play City do tend to struggle and Manuel Akanji is a fantastic defender but in midfield I think especially against Liverpool we saw you know his passing range his positioning it's, it's not quite at the level of John Stone so you know as Tim was saying earlier I do think the way Spurs and Ange play I think they they can definitely get at City. Would you like a quiz? 
Uh, yeah, always. Luke? Sure. Okay, good. This is the question. Erling Haaland scored his 50th Premier League goal in 48 games last week. He's never lost once he's scored, and that's after 32 games. Four players have longer streaks. Who are those four players? I think I know one. Okay, go on then. Hey, Gabriel Jesus? Correct. So Gabriel Jesus is one. He played 55. He won 50 and drew five, which is an incredible record, isn't it? Um, any other guesses? Three more to get. Can I have a stab at the one that is inactive? Yes. Rude Van Nistelrooy? No. Not Rude Van Nistelrooy. Dwight York? No. I'll give you a couple of his clubs. Well, he played for England, played for Aston Villa, and he played for Manchester City. Mm. Gareth Barry? No. <laughs> uh, James Milner? Um, well, yes, but he wasn't the one that I was thinking about, but he has played for both of them. James Milner is one of them. Um, James Milner played 54 games, won 43 and drew 11, uh, having scored. But he's not the one you would... No, and he's him. not the one I was thinking about. So there's another Villa, Man City and England player. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Is... Sell. Yes. Wow. Correctamundo. Uh, played 46, won 36 and drew 10, having scored... Now, one I, uh, final... It, it, is it Darius? Right, this is a thing. Cause I, I, I met him and interviewed him a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. And asked people's opinions before. Is it Darius? Is it Darius? Uh, it was inconclusive, so I just said, mate. Oh. <laughs> Did you ask him about his um, blogging career when he was in Turkey? No, I didn't. Do you remember this? He, he used to write these kind of quite bleak blogs. He, he'd say things like, I'm, I'm sitting in my car in outside a supermarket and I'm just tapping out this blog on my iPad because I haven't really got anything else to do. And it was, gee, I mean, fair play to him for, you know, going abroad and experiencing new culture and a different league, but it sounded so bleak. Right, sorry to break in. Mm. Um, we have one more answer. Oh. And I'm looking at you, Tim. I'm surprised that you don't know. Pedro Neto? No, he scored in many games and lost. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Uh, why are you looking at me? Because uh, I like the colour of your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm looking at you because I think you might know the answer. Okay. Wow, uh, no. Heavy heavy double tap on maybe it's a former Wolves player. Oh, uh, Jota. Exactly. Mm. Diogo Jota. Played 36, won 30, drew 6, having scored. So those are your four. Jesus, Milner, Vassell and Jota. Should we do some more um, straightforward predictions for this game? We're talking about uh, Manchester City against Spurs. Go ahead, Tim. Hmm. I think Spurs will take the lead and give them a, give them a fright. Okay. Uh, but I think City will relent 3-1. 3-1. Luke? I'm going to go cautiously 2-2. Okay. A Desmond. Thank you. Uh, I think City are going to absolutely batter them. I think it's going to be like 4-5-1, <laughs> or five, one, maybe. I think they're going to get battered, but I don't think it's going to mean anything ultimately because, you know, it's this just quite odd period. And we're not really going to know how good Spurs are probably until... I don't know, the new year, when Madison and Van der Ven and, you know, some of the other players are back. OK, jolly good. Right, next up, we are going to be talking about Newcastle and Manchester United. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So Manchester United heading to Tyneside, 8 o'clock kickoff on Saturday night, and they will remember vividly losing 2-0 their last April. Now check this out. If Newcastle win this one, it will be the first consecutive league wins for them since 1972 against Manchester United. That wow. Is, that is a stat and a half. I'm surprised it? at that. You are. Yeah. And these two sides having differing emotions coming out of their two games in the Champions League this week. Obviously, Newcastle were on the verge of winning against Paris Saint-Germain until that controversial penalty. Uh, Manchester United, they were leading out in Galatasaray, but they threw it all away and it ended 3-3. Where do we stand on this? Newcastle will just be happy to to be at home amongst their kin, won't they, Tim? Yeah, particularly given the huge amount of effort they put in Mm. in midweek. I mean, it's remarkable, really. They're completely down to the bare bones. Uh, Couldn't even make a sub, could they, uh, on Tuesday night in Paris. And yeah, I think a, a trip away... Uh, pretty much anywhere would be a massive ask. We saw uh, the Bournemouth game before the international break. They looked completely dead on their feet. And you can see a similar scenario this weekend. But I think the home crowd, under the lights, as they say. Yeah. But no, I, th- I think I think that will have a, sort of a galvanising effect. And the fact that the game was on Tuesday night rather than Wednesday will be a benefit to them because, yeah, that'll be a real tough one to get over. Obviously, there's been a, a lot of coverage of the controversy out against uh, Paris Saint-Germain, the handball from Livramento. And I was speaking to Jacob Whitehead, who covered the game. He was out in Paris just before we came to record this podcast. And it's basically coming down to a differing interpretation according to the UEFA rules rather than the Premier League rules. They don't think that if it deflects off your body and hits your hand, according to UEFA rules, then that's an issue. And that's why the penalty was given. However, the guy who gave the decision has been taken off his next game so it does perhaps suggest that he did make the wrong decision in these sort of scenarios Nick do you think it genuinely has a galvanizing effect or can it equally have an effect of just sucking the life out of you and thinking oh you know it was an injustice and that can have a negative impact there's going to be a huge amount of teams being galvanized this season if you know that's true if ropey um ropey VAR decisions uh, go against them yeah I don't know I mean you kind of think they need something because you know, as Tim said, completely down to the bare bones. This this game could be pretty entertainingly chaotic because both of these teams are going to be absolutely knackered, like emotionally as much as anything. I don't think you're likely to see a you know, hugely high quality football game, but I think it will be enormously entertaining, nevertheless. Yeah, it has all the makings of a of a, of a good game, um, and I guess. Yes, they might have to just sort of park their emotions, Luke, after the after the Champions League and concentrate on what they did last time out in the in the Premier League. Manchester United impressive in a really difficult environment at Goodison Park last week, and then obviously Newcastle were were really dominant against Chelsea. So both teams can just try and sort of go, well, look, let's just forget about all that. 
and crack on with our with our league form. Yeah, I think Nick does have a point though about the quality of the game we can expect. I think both teams, especially Newcastle, have struggled with injuries of late. As Tib said, they, they didn't make any substitutions against PSG and Man United's squad is is pretty thin as well. So I'd be surprised if there are wholesale changes from the teams that played midweek, which I think you know doesn't lend itself to the players being fit and fresh and under the lights at St James's as as Tim said, I think Newcastle might just have the edge, but it's it's going to be very difficult to call. And I think both sides will come into it with wanting to prove something after the midweek. But I, I, it's, it's very difficult. And both teams, Tim... Oh, sorry, go on. I was going to say, there's a, there's a nice opportunity if, if Spurs do lose at Man City the following day that one of these teams will be in fifth place yeah. in the early stand-ins. And in fact, both of their struggles in Europe are going to potentially hinder them uh, going forward because the, the the coefficient as people may or might not know which could give an extra Champions League place for fifth place in the Premier League which is where one of these teams might be come the start of next week it, it's their struggles in Europe which is slightly putting that coefficient ruling not quite as cut and dried as maybe we would have thought at the start of the season There are some good young players being given an opportunity due to both teams injury issues I mean we've we've got through a weekend preview without mentioning Garnacho and, and his amazing goal obviously he is someone within that Manchester United side that you now think right well stick with him uh, give him as many opportunities as you can yeah I mean he's one of those players who requires a little bit of patience I I wonder whether the next few weeks United will start to kind of not regret is the wrong word but that will that overhead kick is going to make him try similar things every possible opportunity and more often than not uh, hoof them into the stands under Eric Ten Hag they haven't been a sort of always a hugely entertaining team to watch and he is a, obviously a very entertaining footballer to watch certainly from a neutral perspective I imagine he can be quite infuriating if he's on your team yeah he's in good foot. go on Tim was it the best overhead kick in Premier League history though that's my question to you well, I, I watched uh, a compilations uh, of these things I watched one of those I completely forgot do you remember Andy Carroll's one uh, oh, a few yeah. years ago yeah, that was very good which I've forgotten very, about very which was yes. enormously satisfying how many um, overhead kicks have you seen live I was there for Cristiano Ronaldo's for Real Madrid against Juventus in the Champions League a few years ago and it's that's the best goal I've ever seen live which is a little bit upsetting given that it was Cristiano Ronaldo but I was also there for... Do you remember Emre Chan scored one against Watford? No way. Yeah, uh, yeah I was yeah. there for that, actually. Yeah, yeah. I was there for that one That was well. great, yeah. Do you remember Gary Cahill for Villa against Birmingham? Yeah. it's Because like, it's very unique the way that he, that he gets himself in the air and then sort of uh, kung fu scissor kicks it in. I think on that centre-back scoring bicycle overhead scissor kicks, whatever you want to call it, I think Philippe Mexes for AC Milan Ooh, yeah. a few yeah. years ago. He's, wow. He scores it from basically like the edge of the box. Mm. It's absolutely... And I think, I'm trying to remember the context, I think it was like a game winner or something, which adds, I think, further spice. We haven't mentioned Wayne Rooney, obviously, and his overhead kick. If you had to pick one as, as your favourite or better... Was it Garnacho or Rooney? Yeah, I think it's Garnacho, yeah. Garnacho? Garnacho on technique. On technique. Garnacho. And Garnacho. Yeah. Because there is that perception that, that Rooney shinned it a little bit. But hey ho. We haven't talked about Newcastle's youngsters. Lewis Miley is, is one that has obviously been particularly impressive. We mentioned Livermento, who shouldn't, you know, have that game overshadowed by the fact that he was involved in the uh, in the handball. He's been impressive as well for Newcastle. We're hoping for no more uh, VAR controversies in this one, but let's have a very quick prediction from you, Tim. 
2-0 to Newcastle. Luke, I'm going to go the other way. Newcastle, you have struggled after Europe this season, I think, bar that 8-0 over Sheffield United, 2-0 Man United. Score draw. Score draw. 2-2, I think. Thank you. Up next, we're going down into the basement. Burnley against Sheffield United. So this is the battle of the unofficial bottom two. Everton, of course, do sit between them after their 10-point deduction. The stats really do make grim reading for these sides. Only one win each. Sheffield United have only led for 44 minutes so far this season. Burnley have been behind for 563 minutes, and they are both league-high numbers. And Burnley could become the first team in English Football League history to lose each of their first eight matches at home in a single campaign. I, l- I love that. We're not oh. talking any 1992 nonsense here. That's <laughs> all-time stat. Yeah. Nice. Do, do we think that, that Vincent Company and, and Paul Heckingbottom are just sort of fearing going into every game? Or are you just thinking, well, maybe they're relishing the challenge? Or do you think it just must be an attritional existence for both of them at the moment? The the latter, I think. If, if I was in that position, I'd just be kind of wanting someone to put me out of my misery. Uh, so it's just a sort of drudgery rather than fearing losing another game. It's just kind of, Christ, what's going to happen this week? It's interesting, though, because Vincent Company appears outwardly facing to, to still be relishing the challenge, still saying that we can do this, you know, slowly building towards getting another victory. Do we feel that Burnley, rather than Sheffield United, are more likely to pull through or are we just resigned to both of them just going straight back down? I think we expected more from Burnley this season. I don't think anybody's surprised that Sheffield United are where they are, given lack of investment and lack of quality and losing losing good players from last season. Yeah. But Burnley, I think company will be utterly dismayed, to be honest. And there's a huge question coming up for Burnley. You know, if they lose this game and continue to lose and they're on four points from something approaching 20 matches, then is that tenable? Does I mean, does company want to get out of that? His reputation's taking a huge hit right now. He's been linked with a Spurs job in the summer, touted as a Guardiola successor. It doesn't look like that, you know, right now. Um, so and- what do you do if you're him? Do you actually go? Would would you ever walk away from it because it's getting it's getting too bad and, and the 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 damage to your yep, CV yep, well, is is getting quite potentially, great? I guess he's got to look at what he wants to do for the next sort of few years because if if it looks like Burnley are near certainties for relegation, does he does he want to stick with them? Does he want to try and get them back up next season and try all this again and get into some kind of Norwich Daniel Farker you know purgatory? It's a big question for him and, and for Burnley, really, as, as to why this isn't working and, and where they go next. I, I think it would be an interesting hit for his reputation if he did walk away, though, because I think that says something. Yeah, there is. A, that would say something about his... I mean, not that I'm coming for it, but it would say something about his character if he was just like... You don't often get managers resigning, leaving clubs in, in pretty poor situations. And I think we're seeing with both Sheffield United and Burnley and Luton to an extent is that you know clubs that are coming up almost look like they're just preparing to go straight back down again and do that sort of Norwich-Watford thing um, and and not bother spending loads of money, you know, like Fulham did a few years ago and then going straight back down. Burnley did spend, you know, 100 million, I think, close to, which sounds like a lot of money in this day and age, but it's is it really? And some of their signings, I think, quite shrewd, you would say. James Trafford, Aaron Ramsey, signing young English players that have huge resale value if they do go down. If, if I was Vincent Company, I think I'd be kind of looking at Burnley as, as a more long-term project, something that they get relegated, 
this season, probably. Uh, and then they go again with largely the same squad next season in the championship. And, you know, those players they've signed, I think they've, they barely signed anyone over the age of 25 this summer. They go again in the championship with much the same squad and they are better equipped to, to stay up in what would be the 25-26 Premier League season. It is a juicy fixture, this one. You know, taking aside potential impact on either manager if they were to lose, but it's really important if they want to just try and claw their way out of it that they get a victory, obviously, because of what Luton did last week against Crystal Palace. They obviously now have a a four-point advantage over Sheffield United in 18th. If either one could could win, it would only be a a two or a three-point gap. So there is still hope simply because there are, you know, there is one team outside of the relegation zone which is not not that far off. I don't know if it says something about our kind of respective characters, but you say juicy, I say potentially one of the bleakest games in <laughs> Premier League history. Yeah. Perhaps rivaling, do you remember that um Reading against QPR when it was towards the end of the season they drew 0-0 a result which resulted in both teams getting relegated Mm. that's bleak it is bleak but let's try and stay positive (laughs) for uh, for both of these sides Um, let's have a little bit bit of a prediction uh, go on if you you don't mind Tim (laughs) (laughs) no I don't mind I don't mind offering one up it's more just you know what am I going to say uh, uh, 1-0 Burnley 1-0 Burnley I'm going to go similar I'm going to go 2-1 Burnley Nick attritional one all draw oh okay right onwards and upwards then this episode is supported by season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, let's have a look at some of the other um, maybe juicier fixtures uh, this weekend. A couple of eye-catching ones. Arsenal against Wolves. Oh, Tim. Mm. How are you feeling about VAR? I mean, obviously, you know, Gary Ball has been hit hard <laughs> by VAR. <laughs> it has, though, hasn't it? Yeah. He's called me a moron yes. on the podcast. Yeah. Wow, I like that. Yeah, fair play. Go on. No, but it's it's true, though. They have been probably the worst hit or the, the most unlucky in terms of VAR decisions. Uh, yeah. And Fulham was a case in point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had a rare excursion into the away end on um, Monday night. This is only my second game as a fan for, like, almost, almost a decade. Yeah. Um, so... I was quite reserved. Are you a booer, um, Tim? Uh, yeah, I can be. 
yeah, I was booing the ref on Monday night. <laughs> but it's just, I don't know, I just, I kind of despair really. The whole, and Wolves are an extreme example because of what's happening to them this season, but the whole night was just taken up by VAR. You know, there were, there were the three penalty decisions, there were 16 minutes stoppage time. But the whole, the whole away end, like as soon as there was a contentious decision, like a throw in, they were they were on the ref and the lino's back like massively and like singing about their, what they perceive as corruption in the Premier League and you know and and then they're all just checking each other's phones for replays and tweets about whether the decisions were right or wrong and then come the full time whistle walking out the stadium all everybody was talking about it was VAR and, and the penalties I was just like this is not football like and like I said I know Wolves are an extreme example but I do kind of feel like every weekend. We, as in the, you know, the collective Premier League, we are just talking about decisions. Uh, it's just, I, I, I'm we, we were talking about decisions before VAR. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we? and that's yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I take your point, but it's what we talk about, isn't it? Yeah, but what's the point in all in in putting ourselves through all this? The extreme delays, not being able to celebrate goals properly. If the decisions aren't going to be correct, that's the point. So at Craven Cottage on Monday, there were five big decisions. Three penalties, a potential red card for a headbutt, and a potential red card for Tim Ream second booking. And then I got two right out of the five. I think that's fair enough to say. I think that's what the officials told Gary O'Neill afterwards. So what's the point in putting ourselves through all this if the, if they're still nowhere near the high level that we now demand from them because they've got they've got video evidence? I don't mean to kind of riff on the the pain at all, but I, I, there was something I found incredibly funny about Gary O'Neill very solemnly saying. I've lost now lost faith in VAR like he was <laughs> like he was announcing the end of a marriage or something like that we've, we've tried we've tried so much me and VAR but it's just not happening but fair play to Gary O'Neill for for um still dealing with it in a in a diplomatic way you compare that to how Mikel Arteta you know dealt with it and it is they are poles apart in terms of Wolves as a team at the moment are you still content with what you know Gary Ball is I mean, there are there are there are fans and and others and Gary Neal himself doing the maths and saying, look, if if certain decisions had gone our way as they should have done, and this of course this isn't an exact science, then Wolves would be sort of around the Man United Newcastle yeah. portion of the Premier League. So yeah, you certainly can't argue with anything that he's doing at the moment. And, and all um, the Wolves fans now on board. Yeah, it's turned yeah. around very quickly. Yeah. There was a few weeks ago where they drew at Luton and lost to Ipswich in the Carabao Cup, and the tide was about to turn really, and then they beat Man City. But yeah, uh, Arsenal away this weekend. So uh, they've got both their first choice midfielders out suspended, Joe Gomez and Mario Lamina. So uh, there's, there's, there was talk walking out of Craven Cottage on Monday night that Gary O'Neill might do a Mick McCarthy from 2009 when he selected an entirely different eleven away at Man United. Oh, yes. To, because they had a more important game against Burnley at home a few days later, which is exactly what's happening now. Wolves have got Burnley at home on Tuesday night. The discourse was uh, whether O'Neill would do a McCarthy. Was there a punishment after that? I think he got fined. It was a huge Ferrari at the time. Yeah. Huge. People were calling for his sacking and all sorts. Well, But partly partly because he just kind of pretended that nothing was... He just said, I just made some changes in the game. Well, yeah. What's the problem? In his in the kind of classic Mick McCarthy way, which, um, which was incredibly funny. Let's talk about Arsenal. Obviously, they're back top of the Premier League. They uh, ground out a 1-0 win at Brentford uh, last time out. And Kai Havertz did something significant, which is which is great for for Arsenal fans. His position in that squad seems to be evolving in a positive way. Luke, yeah, I think that was the mood music from out of Arsenal. Almost as soon as he signed, and it became clear that Mikel Arteta wanted to play him in midfield, that it was going to take 
some time for him to adapt to that sort of you know left eight role as it were and you know it wasn't surprising you know to me as someone that's watched quite a lot of Kai Havertz play that he didn't take to that you know very naturally uh, at the start of his Arsenal career but he's kind of been helped by the fact that Arsenal even though they as a team haven't been great performance wise they've still got the results you know they're at the top of the Premier League and they're doing very well in the Championship Champions League after their absolute demolition of uh, Lons in which Kai Havertz scored again and I think they're they're in a very good position they and Kai Havertz to kind of keep developing under Arteta and keep pushing towards you know the the big trophies which is the the kind of next step for them as a club quick word on um, Chelsea against Brighton Luke I, I'll come back to you on this because this is basically Chelsea against their feeder club is there a a rivalry developing between these two sides is it as sort of tenuous as as Crystal Palace Brighton uh, I, I don't think there's a rivalry developing I think there's a little bit of embarrassment developing from a Chelsea perspective because I think they lost twice to Brighton last season and particularly the the second time under Frank Lampard in April at Stamford Bridge was just like it was a complete walkover for Brighton they uh, they ambled to a 2-1 victory and Cizo I think scored that goal of the season contender mm. if you remember but there's no rivalry I think for Chelsea fans you know there's a there's a desire to beat Brighton to almost be like you know we've spent all this money we've bought some of their best players we are actually better than them and for Brighton it's just you know we're here to upset the party kind of doing things the right way quote unquote uh, and playing good football it'll be a very interesting tactical battle I think and Brighton might struggle having been in they'll be in Greece Thursday night and then obviously playing Sunday at 2pm UK time against Chelsea who will have had a week's rest after getting embarrassed uh, at Newcastle yeah why, why why did it go quite so wrong against Newcastle I think I mean we, we joked about it earlier on the podcast but I genuinely think and you know if you're a listener from outside of the UK you may not understand that in the UK nowadays it gets dark at 4pm and this was a Saturday 3pm game so it quite literally became St James's Park under the lights <laughs> in the second half and that is when Chelsea melted away they were you know giving away silly fouls all game Rhys James got booked for kicking the ball away. So did Raheem Sterling. Kukurea got booked for dissent. They very much lost their heads in the second half. And I think they were overwhelmed a bit by Newcastle's press, which is obviously a key key component under Eddie Howe. And most of his squad were fresh after the international break, albeit they had some injuries. And I, I think it's it's something that you have to accept with this Chelsea team is that they're, they're not going to be winning every game and they're not going to be favourites for every game. And when you have a young squad, you know, be it... Burnley or Chelsea, I think you just have to kind of accept that some weeks are just going to be terrible uh, and that's football. And I think a lot of Chelsea fans aren't accustomed to that. They're accustomed to winning every game and being favourites for every game and that's that's not the normal existence for most football fans. So as I look at you three for nods in agreement. Quick look at some of the other games. Obviously there's some, some interesting games. Liverpool, Fulham, West Ham, Crystal Palace, Bournemouth, Villa, Brentford against Luton. Luton obviously going for back-to-back wins for the first time uh, in the Premier League. And Forest against Everton. This is a really big one, isn't it? Because Forest are one of the low-hanging fruit, of, as we've discussed before. A little bit of pressure on Steve Cooper. And Everton, they will be looking for that first climb back, that first cut of those 10 points that they've so cruelly lost. Mm, yeah, it could be a, a very emotional weekend for um, some people in this pod, me, 
<laughs> you, but basically, yeah, because uh, I think there's a, there's a sort of assumption that um, if it doesn't go well for Forrest, then Steve Cooper will be on his way. Yeah, I don't, would you I cry? Don't know would you actually cry? Um, cry? No, you know what? I'm I'm not going to cry because it's over. I'm just going to be happy that it happened. Oh, Adam. lovely. Mm. The assumption is that this is going to happen at some point. The relationship between Steve Cooper and Forrest Owner and Evangelos Maranakis isn't great. It, it feels like at this stage they're just sort of looking for a bit of an excuse, and that excuse would be you know losing a few games in a row. But you know, first home form is is really good. Apart from you know the last game against Brighton was the first game they'd lost at home this season. So you know there may be kind of some kind of recovery, and he Steve Cooper will still be there. But I suspect if not this weekend, it'll be relatively soon. Which would be sad, and it would also sort of bring into the equation. Well, what what are you expecting us to do in yeah. terms of of Forest? You know, you've come up from nowhere, you stayed up. What are you expecting? Anyway, anyway, we could we could talk about this. Maybe we'll have a dedicated uh, mm. Nottingham Forest podcast at some stage in the future. Let's just quickly talk before we go about the news out of IFAB this week that they're going to push ahead with further trials, maybe as high as the Premier League, maybe as soon as next season um, by bringing in Sinbins in football just to add another element it's a good idea isn't it uh, it sounds a bit farcical really isn't it Don't do you, you think? think it does I don't know. because I, I was in the meeting I was there at, um, they held this meeting at uh, Heathrow Airport so everyone could fly in Pierluigi Kalina was there and the, the various uh, officials Arsene Wenger was there and stuff um, then they did a press conference afterwards and we spoke to them, and my gut feeling was, well, yeah, if you can if you can get rid of dissent and you can have a, an extra punishment, which isn't quite a red card for a tactical foul, then that's a good idea. Sinbin's not a bad idea. You you're you're dead against it, are you? I don't know. Tactical fouls are a great great part of football. I don't think they should be punished with. Uh, so Chiellini pulling back Bukayo Saka, that was that was okay. Yeah, that's fine. Fine. That's fine. And the, the dissent thing. I mean, they tried that a few years ago. Do you remember when they said, oh, you can only talk to the captain? What happened to that? Why can't we can't we try that again? That's well, that was but that is, thing that they were that's part of the, yeah, yeah. That, exactly. That's one of them. I think these are quite good ideas, but I've heard a lot of a lot of negative views about these these new additions. I think I wrote I wrote a piece about this uh, this week, and I think in theory, if if it works with no complications, then yes, in theory, it could um, reduce descent towards referees and, and whatever else but even just kind of sitting around in the office I, we, we, we came up with a number of things that meant it could just make the game more complicated and basically be a sort of net negative like for example you get a player sin bin for 10 minutes in the second half there's going to be some t- turbo time wasting in that 10 minutes one other quick thing that was mentioned and this is something that they're thinking about to try and eradicate time wasting from goalkeepers is instead of giving an indirect free kick in the box to give a corner which i thought was actually quite a good idea yeah, I again, it, it, I think it's, that's quite it's, an easy, it's, it's an easy fix. I think no? it seems overly complicated to me. Yeah, I, 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 hold on a minute. But how complicated is that? That's really not you complicated. Say, this gets said about every new football rule, and it always turns out to be far more complicated than people. But I think imagine, that's a very I straightforward think. thing, isn't I'm it? If sure. the goalkeeper, you start the clock. Right, ten seconds gone. Bosch corner. 
The other thing is that the, the implication is that a conceding corner is more of a punishment than an indirect free kick in the box. No, no, but, no, no. It's the other way around. They felt that an indirect free kick in the penalty box is too much of a punishment, and that's why referees were more reluctant to give it. Right. But the okay. corner is actually a better halfway house between the two. But do, I. <sighs> I like it, guys. I'm on. I like it. Can I say, speaking as someone that has been sin binned playing football in the not oh, yeah. too because they do it at grassroots think, football, yeah, yeah. I think that it's great at grassroots level, and it genuinely made me rethink. What did you do? I one was quite a bad tactical foul, and okay. one was a strong challenge that I think was erroneously given as a sin bin. The tactical foul one, I have no complaints about, and I it genuinely made me think maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> anymore so to that extent it does work but i think there's way too much controversy that can be had over you know the interpretation of what's a sin bin versus what's a yellow card versus what's a red card you know both ways so i think it's great at grassroots level when you want to eradicate you know bad things like time wasting and things like dissent which are a lot harder to police at that level but at premier league level professional level i, I don't think it will work okay but well, we, we admire your enthusiasm thank you thanks very much and you know what Let's think about this, right? Everyone's saying, oh, God, the games are going on so long. Oh, no, we're going to have to spend more time at the football. Well, you're going to the football anyway. You may as well go to the football and spend more time at the football. You're getting more bang for your buck. You're spending more time with your mates at the football. And there's more for us to talk about as well. Do you agree? You do all. You're all nodding at me. Thank you very much. <laughs> None of us are nodding. No one's nodding. No one's nodding. Adam is abusing his position playing, as, the, as the host. Playing devil's advocate uh, to the nth degree. Uh, this week, right? Thank you very much, Tim. Thanks, Luke. Thank you. A pleasure as always. And Nick, thank you as always. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for today. Uh, Io is going to be back on Monday. We will be back with another Premier League uh, weekend preview next Friday. And if you want to join the Athletic family, you can sign up for £199 or dollars a month for an entire year at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thanks very much for listening and enjoy your weekend and wrap up very warm because it's going to be very cold if you are listening to this in the UK. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.